1: Hello, and welcome to New Books in Sports. I'm your host, Bruce Berglund. For each episode of the podcast, we choose an interesting new book on some area of sports, and we talk with the author about that book and about some of the deeper issues in sport, society, and culture. This week, we are talking about baseball books. Something I've learned in doing this podcast is that baseball is unique among sports and having such a large body of literature associated with it. To give you an idea, in just the first five months of this year, from January to May, 207 books on baseball have been published in English. That number includes 21 works of fiction and 53 biographies, not to mention another 150 books about the sport written for children. I've found in two years of conversations that fans of other sports from countries around the world envy the rich and varied library that baseball offers. In this episode of the podcast, we get an expert tour of the best of this vast literature from Ron Kaplan, the host of a popular blog on baseball books, and the bibliography editor for Sabre, the Society for American Baseball Research. We are discussing Ron's new book, 501 Baseball Books, Fans Must Read Before They Die, published by the University of Nebraska Press. Don't let the title mislead you. This is not an overly opinionated ranking of baseball books from number one to 501. Probably the best way to describe the book is that it is the delightful appetizer to the feast of baseball literature. You will savor Ron's selections and his thoughtful summary of each book, but I think that you'll also find your appetite wedded for more baseball reading. This was the case for me, and after reading Ron's book, I now have a long list of baseball books for my summer reading. So let's turn to my interview with Ron. To start our conversation, I asked him how many baseball books are on his shelves.
0: On my shelves, I have—I keep a track on the library thing. I'm a little, little bit behind, so now the figure is probably up over 2,000, and uh, that's just books with ISBN numbers on them. You know, I have a number of uh, other publications. Uh, probably, you know, when you talk about baseball magazines and things like that, because uh, that also fits on a bookshelf. Now my, my blog is Ron Kaplan's Baseball Bookshelf, so anything that can fit there you know, is, is fair game. Uh, so that's probably another. 1500 or so because I never get rid of
1: anything okay and you have a line in your book and and I'll read it I find myself depressed knowing I will never be a true completist I will never acquire every title not even the ones deemed to be important so I'll ask you of those you know 2,000 books 1,500 magazines what percentage of the vast body of baseball literature even the books just deemed to be important do you have in your in your personal collection
0: uh except for the things that are really old uh, I have a, a couple of uh books in in 501 that are from the early 19th century and are generally not available anymore I pretty much have uh I'd say 95% of the books in 501 uh, are also on my shelves so what
1: compels you to read the next book you know now that you now that you have 2000 on your shelf and another one comes in the mail what 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 sparks you to say yeah i want to read this this one more baseball book
0: it's <laughs> it's a topic generally uh my particular favorites within baseball uh, leads to history uh anything offbeat you know, I, I don't know if i want to read another baseball biography about a flavor of the month player uh, someone who had one good season and decides he's going to come out with a book to take advantage of his popularity uh, I like the, the issue books, uh, baseball during the Depression. Uh, I like popular culture, baseball in movies or baseball cards or baseball in music. You know, just thing, things are a little out of the ordinary, and I think that that's what authors really have to do more and more if they want to get their book noticed, uh, you know, thinned out from the rest of the herd. Mm-hmm.
1: Ron, you do start your book by citing the small ball theory of sports literature, which was first proposed by uh, George Plimpton, the idea that the smaller the ball used in the particular sport, the better the literature. And I'll ask, why, why do you think that's the case? Why is it that, that baseball, of all other sports, has such a, a strong body of literature?
0: Well, certainly it's the length of its history. Uh, going back to the middle of the 1800s, uh, that, that, that's a whole s- subgenre which I, I don't separate in, in the book in the history department. Uh, that, that's actually not one of my favorite topics, but it, it's the history. It's the all the different permutations of, of baseball uh, that that you can read about. You can read books about statistics. You can read books about history about individual players. Uh, while uh, strategy, philosophy, and, and I mean real philosophy, not just sports philosophy, uh, of how the game is played, I don't know if other sports have that. I mean, sure, there are great books about football. Uh, I don't really recall that many outstanding books about hockey, and I guess technically that's not played with a ball. But uh, so I guess the smaller piece of sporting equipment <laughs> in in that case, but uh, and even even basketball. I think it's the the pace of those games are all basketball and hockey are very quick games. So if you if you watch a game on TV, the announcers barely have times to get out the names of the players involved in in, in the pass and shoot, and and basketball is also very quick, and the the ball goes from hand to hand to hand. So it's kind of hard to. Have that time to you know, just sit and, and and watch. One thing I notice is an aside: when I listen to so many podcasts, that when I actually listen to radio and, and I miss something, I'm, I feel I want to go back and hit the rewind button so I can find out what he said like five seconds ago. And you, you can't do that. Uh, in, in baseball, if you watch a baseball game, the pitcher throws the ball, and immediately following is two or three replays of the pitch, if, if even if it's not hit. You'll have a one from one angle, one from another angle, one from overhead. So it, it's a constant repetition in baseball. So you, even the topics are, are constantly repeated as, as far as the, the kinds of books that come out. And it's interesting reading the different interpretations of, of the same event, uh, depending on who's writing it, whether it's a broadcaster or uh, a writer uh, or a non-sports writer. Some some really great books have been written by writers who don't uh, follow sports as a, a profession. Uh, Tom Oliphant, Doris Kearns Goodwin, George Will come immediately to mind, David Halperstam. These are not sports writers, but they, they bring something to the literature that sets them apart from, let's say, uh, uh, a uh, sports writer for a daily newspaper who comes out with a book.
1: So let's turn to your book, Ron, and, and the books that you write about. And I'll tell listeners that the uh, the book is not really a ranking, so it's not 1 through 501 in terms of the, the top baseball books, but rather that you have the books organized by subject area, so you have chapters on biographies, books about stadiums, reference books, and so forth. Uh, but I do wonder if there was some specific intent in having, as book number one, a work by Bill James. So, so what place does Bill James have in, in baseball literature?
0: Well, just as to the placement of the book, the, the books are listed alphabetically. So it just so happens that his abstract uh, comes first. Well, it's a baseball book. So, so within that, that category, a uh, baseball book comes before uh, J.C. Bradbury's baseball economist. So I was very careful not to to rank. That was a deliberate choice because it's very subjective. L- reading, uh, film, music, food is is very subjective. And my idea was just to generate conversation, uh, which it's certainly doing. Uh, it would be perhaps a little more controversial had I ranked the books. Like, how could you? It's like ranking players. You know, how mm-hmm. can you rank uh, Ty Cobb ahead of Mickey Mantle or? Or uh, Albert Poolhouse ahead of uh, Willie Mays. I, d- I just wanted to again create conversation. Uh, Bill James I found uh, quite I, amusing isn't the right word, but he he is an amusing writer. He's not doesn't take himself too seriously. Uh, he was the first popular writer as far as uh, analyses goes. Uh, there were certainly other books about analyses but uh, he he made it quite accessible to the average person. What's happened since then, I don't know if I'm that much in love with. I think there's a tendency to overanalyze, as evidenced by the new generation of statistics, uh, which may or may not uh, be a more accurate depiction of the game, but I, I just think there's, personally, I think there's too much time spent on analysis of that nature as opposed to what's going on in the field, which is a game to be enjoyed by spectator and participant.
1: So following up on that, that, that first section of your book features works that offer analysis of the game. And in looking at, at those titles, as well as others in the book, it, it seems like there are two approaches to explaining uh, and analyzing the game. One is that baseball is a simple game and that authors uh, seek to help fans comprehend what is profound in that simplicity. And the other approach is that baseball is a complicated game, and that fans need an expert guide to help them to be more knowledgeable fans. So is that accurate in terms of at least what I gained from your synopses of the books?
0: Uh, Yeah, I would agree with that, and I think there's even a step beyond that. Where it's uh, books and analyses for the advanced fan. Okay, yeah. Uh, to, to make it even, to, to make them even more, uh, you know, turned up nose over the rest of the uh, you know, mere mortals who enjoy the game, you know, to separate them you know, in a sense. But yeah, uh, there, there are plenty of books uh, that reach out to specific demographics. Uh, one, one thing, I have a couple of books here about baseball uh, explained for women. Which, which in a sense I find a little insulting. I mean, you wouldn't have a book uh, explaining baseball to uh, uh, the gay community or to the African-American community. Uh, so I, I don't know why they think they have to uh, include things in the women's book about you know, going shopping for the game or, or uh, watching your weight by the ballpark food you eat. Uh, So there's the introduction to the game, both for for kids and adults. There's books like Keith Hernandez's uh, Pure Baseball, which is an excellent book. And, And I'm all for books that make you think, because I think thinking about the game will enhance your pleasure in the game. Uh, some people might say, you know, I, I don't need to be that much more educated. I just want to watch it, spend a few hours uh, enjoying the game with my pals, and then I don't need to, to know why the first baseman stands here for this play or checks with the pitcher's uh, position on the rubber for that play. You know, that, that that's a little maybe over-analysis, but there are people who enjoy that too. So there's something for everybody in this book.
1: So can I ask which kinds of books you're led to or which which approach?
0: Well, what you were to say reminds me of that, that scene in Bull Durham where uh, uh, everybody collects in the shower while the manager says baseball's a simple game. You hit the ball, you throw the ball, you catch the ball. Uh and at this stage of, of my experience with baseball, I like the more analytical things uh-huh. because, I, 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 modesty aside, I know more, I think, than the average fan. Uh, and I, I like knowing... The, the where's and why's of things. The, 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 a couple of books written by and about managers and in their thinking. I would really like a book to come out, which I, I know there are out there, but I haven't read one at this point that I've really enjoyed that much about. The general manager and his job in putting together a team and dealing with the pressures of the front office from above as to how you're spending your money and how you're making your transactions and the... Uh, the people below, They're the field manager, and, and you know, he has to play with the cards that he's dealt. So th- those are the kind of books that that appeal to me in in this particular genre of analyses.
1: And I would say, I've, I've mentioned on the podcast before, I've talked about my experience in, in coaching Little League Baseball. And one of the things that in coaching 9- and 10-year-olds I came to appreciate is just how, even at its most basic level of play for young kids, of how complicated the game is and that, uh, you know, the, there's there's just basic plays, you know, throw and hit and field and so forth. But uh, it was really remarkable to see uh, how 9- and 10-year-olds, how, you know, one aspect of the game built upon another aspect. And, and I gained this appreciation that it it is a difficult game to play, which has led me to read more books about, uh, about the complexity of the game.
0: And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what you say reminds me of a book I just started reading, uh, where it's a collection of, of short pieces, uh, stories, and poems, and uh, the, the author writes about his experience coaching his son's uh, little league team, six and seven year olds. So it's even more elementary, where you, where you, you have kids who don't know what hand to put the glove on, yeah, or, or when you say go play second base. So you know how many times, like ninety-nine out of a hundred times at that age, they will go stand on second base to start. Mm-hmm. And they don't know where shortstop is, and yeah. It, it it's a it's a fascinating process to to watch them if they remain in the game from to evolve from that beginning t ball experience into however far they advance
1: yeah no i i long thought that you could do a uh an experiment in cognitive development by just following children through uh through the years of playing baseball and all the <laughs> all the knowledge that they add in over the over the years hmm so as I was preparing for the interview, Ron, I was looking back through uh, through your book and through your comments on each book. And, and I think the second time that I was going through it, I, I gained a greater appreciation for what you wrote about each of these 501 books. And and I want to ask you about the process you took in compiling this list and then writing your your summaries about each book, your summaries and your comments about each book.
0: I, I wanted I, – there, there are a couple of books similar – to this one that that have come out, uh, there's a very good one about baseball that concentrates on baseball novels, uh, which I find fiction the, the hardest of categories to to critique. Uh, I do not have a literary background. I have no training in, in literary studies or cinematic studies. You know, uh, I don't know art, but I know what I like type of thing. Uh, as, as far as uh, the process, uh, a lot of it comes. From the experience of doing the bookshelf blog uh, I've been a freelance reviewer for the past 20 years or so and I've, I've come to uh, appreciate good writing from less good writing uh, and and there are books that I think will enhance not just the baseball fans enjoyment of the game but also serve as an introduction to anyone who likes to read whether you're a fan or not. That's why I do include things about pop culture, uh, things about uh, ethnicity, uh, history, historical aspects that are not just uh, Bobby Thompson's home run in 1951, but of the the greater scope of the game. Uh, Originally, this was uh, conceived as a 1,001 books for a different publisher, but uh, that project uh, got waylaid when the publisher who asked me to submit a proposal on that was uh, taken over, and the new management decided they didn't want to go with the project. So I approached the University of Nebraska Press. We have a wonderful reputation with uh, baseball literature, and they suggested pairing it down to 501, which I think was a, a very wise idea. Uh, so I, I, a lot of these books uh, I do have in my uh, personal collection. The, the ones I don't... Uh, did uh, extensive research just to define different things there. There's a 1919 autobiography uh, by Charles Comiskey, which was written with another person who actually turned it into a third-person story. Uh, I thought that was a fascinating look by a very uh, historical and often controversial figure to see what how he thought his place in history would be, be uh, perceived. And that book came out right before the Black Sox scandal, so I really wish that uh, he come up with a, a follow-through, just like uh, Jose Canseco came up with a subsequent book after uh, after his first his first hell all, and Jim Bowden after after ball four.
1: There are a number of books on your list that uh, uh, can be categorized as important, meaning that they have uh, resonance not only in baseball literature, but in writing about American sports and Mm -hmm. culture and history. And I want to ask you about a couple of these books. And and the first one I want to ask about is uh, Robert Kramer's biography of Babe Ruth. Why does that that stand out?
0: Biographies prior to the mid-early 1970s were basically written for young people. The stories they told were of players who were stars in the game, the Mickey Mantles, the Sandy Koufaxes, uh, and at that point usually white players, not, not African-American players. And Kramer was one of the first to depict uh, a legend like Babe Ruth as a human being with, with faults, with passions and and desires that were heretofore unexamined. And I think, I I won't say he opened the door, but subsequent biographies took a very much more human look at their subject matter. Uh, look at all the books about Ty Cobb that came out, that that show him as a, as a racist, as a bit of a, a lunatic. And, uh, I think Kramer was was among the first to do that, and he did it very well. Had he not done it so well, I, I don't think uh, future writers in in that area would have fared as well.
1: And then another important book that I'll ask about—one that you just mentioned—is uh, Jim Bouton's Ball Four.
0: That was, although Bouton was obviously not the first player, active player to to write about the game, he was the first to say, you know, look, we do stuff that. Uh, that your parents probably don't want you to know about we drink we uh, we chase women uh we we take drugs uh our, our managers are are not the brightest uh, uh people in the world but uh but they're our bosses and we we you know, nod our heads and then you know just do what we want anyway uh and i think he he was also the, the right guy at the right time that this is the the uh, early '70s, very early '70s. This is the Vietnam generation. This is the, the Woodstock generation that, that was, you know, rebelling against the, the establishment. And and he was was the first to, to to take that that generation's look at, at the, the world and not accept things as as was handed down by their uh, parents and uh, and leaders.
1: So Ron, you mentioned that you're drawn more to uh to histories uh of baseball than to baseball fiction, but baseball fiction is is very popular, mm-hmm. uh, as you know, and uh you do list uh twenty two books in your in your section on fiction. Uh and I'm gonna press you here. Uh so how about uh, how about a baseball number? How about three? So can you recommend out of that out of that twenty two can you recommend three books or three novels that would be a good starting
0: point for someone who is new to baseball fiction? Ah, uh, see that that that's difficult because baseball fiction is often said is not about baseball. If you're if you're talking about just fiction in general, I can help you out there. <laughs> but uh, but but specifically for someone who's just coming to baseball, that that's a tougher sell because e- each book has its own. Uh, advantages and disadvantages in, in, in for for a new person. Uh, for a new person, I think The Celebrant uh, mm-hmm. by Eric Rolf Greenberg is, is a very good book. Uh, it, it's about baseball in the early 1900s. The main character uh, is a, a Jewish jewelry maker who, uh, in, in that generation, Jews were trying to assimilate into society, so they were caught between the old world traditions and wanting to become American and how do you become an American for an immigrant you embrace baseball the the American game uh, that that was an excellent book and it, it there there's a person who's just coming to baseball so I think, you know, that, that that's just a very good example uh, i I again like to look at some of the overlooked uh, the books that don't appear on you know, the natural will appear in everybody's mm-hmm. top five list uh the Celebrant is also pretty pretty high up there, and uh, I, I, one thing I'm getting a little grief about is I, I left out Truelus Joe. Uh, I I noticed have, that. I, I may have. Uh, my wife was the first one to point that out to me because that, that's one of her favorite baseball novels. Uh, how could how could you not put in? You should have asked me first before <laughs> before you sent this in because I would have told you that you left that out. Yeah, and there there are a couple other books uh, I left out too that I'm you know that that's part of the conversation. You know, I, I don't know if I did that consciously or unconsciously, but I left that one out. Uh, if if you don't mind, I'll just tell you a couple of my favorites okay, in, okay. That, in that genre. Uh, there's a book called *Brittle Innings*, which is a combination *Moby Dick*, *Frankenstein* uh, fantasy uh, about baseball, minor league baseball team in the in the era uh, of World War II. That I, I found fascinating. It, it's almost never discussed. And even though the author, Michael Bishop, won awards uh, for fiction and fantasy, it wasn't really discussed much in baseball circles. And uh, I know at some point there was a, a studio that bought the movie rights to that. I think they would have made a wonderful, a wonderful movie. Uh, but that, that fell by the wayside. Uh, Philip Roth is known for a lot of things, but he's not known for his baseball novel, The Great American Novel. Uh, which is also a World War II story about uh, a team in a a third baseball league which, for various reasons, uh, suffered uh, a lot of disappointments and a lot of humorous uh, adventures on the way. Those are probably my two favorite books that that you probably won't hear a whole lot about.
1: So you have 22 works of baseball fiction listed. Uh, but then you have 155 books on baseball history, and we could have an entire episode devoted to books on baseball history. But I want to ask you about one subsection you have in that chapter on on baseball history books, and uh, you mentioned or referred to this already, uh, and that's books about uh, ethnicity in baseball. So mm-hmm. what, what does baseball history reveal about the history of ethnicity and race in America?
0: They're, they're basically two categories within that. There's the Negro League experience and and how African Americans were treated and mistreated in in their long association with the game. And then there are the immigrant groups, uh, the Jews, the the Italians. There there are a couple books that, because there isn't enough about other immigrant groups like Germans uh, in the game, uh, so they're, they're lumped together. This, especially for the early history of the game, you had a lot of Irish, which is another fairly large uh, subsection in there. Uh, the Irish were very involved in the game. Then came the Germans. And then the Jews are not, to a, a big extent, uh, included. There are a couple of very good books about the Jewish experience in baseball. A couple have come out uh, after 501 was published. Otherwise, they would be in there as well. Uh, the again, going back to the immigrant experience. How do you become an American? You adopt American culture. In the early days, baseball was not a profession that was considered a proud profession. You know who participate in that. The, even though baseball was originally conceived for the upper classes to play on an amateur level. Once the game became professional, it was looked on as, as a lower-class game. So this was an opportunity for uh, groups that might not be able to get better jobs or uh, jobs that require higher education to find livelihoods. So that's why you have a, a lot of Irish, a lot of German in those days. Uh, uh, the, the Italians, there are a couple of books uh, about Italians in baseball, that uh, have come out, and now there's a new one out about the DiMaggio brothers, which uh, harkens to that topic. It, it, again, it, I, I know I'm repeating myself, but it's the, the immigrant experience through uh, assimilation.
1: So my field is, is history, Ron, and, and something I've often wondered with, with subjects in history, such as, say, uh, the Civil War, is... Will we ever run out of things to write about the Civil War? And uh, and I'll ask you this about baseball. Will we
0: ever run out of things to write about baseball history? To write about, no. Uh, we'll never run out of things to write about. Whether these things will be read is another story. Whether they will find a voice, a publisher. Uh, one, one, uh, one email I received recently was from an author of uh, a book about baseball during the Civil War. And since I had never met this guy or corresponded with him at all before, I didn't know if he was being serious when he said it was a serious oversight, leaving his book out of the uh, the list. Maybe he was just trying to break the ice and and be humorous, and I really had no way of knowing that. But uh, no, because I think uh, the Internet age has made research a lot easier. You don't have to to physically leave your house in a lot of cases, uh, a lot of old uh, newspapers are being digitized and are accessible online so you, you can do everything from, from home basically uh, you get on the phone you call somebody if, if you want to interview them you, you send them an email uh, the, the, the harder things are going to be one of the, one of uh, a project I have coming up is uh, I, I refer to it as on deck to history. It's it's literally people who are in the on-deck circle when a major event happened. Mm-hmm. And some of these guys are getting up there in age. And and I just was watching the Met game last night, and the, the broadcaster inter, uh, interviewing Red Shane who is 90-something years old and harkens back to what a lot of people consider the golden age of baseball. And I, I think uh, McFarland does an excellent job in some of the subject matter that that they publish, uh, which would never be published by anybody else uh, as far as uh, ball player biographies or team histories, so yeah i, I don't think you will ever run out of uh, things to write about.
1: Let me phrase that another way, and this is the way I put it to my history students is uh will we out, will we still have things to say so we 'll have subjects, and that gets back to your point where you said you know people will find new things to write about, but the trick is getting publishers to publish it, and I think that uh-huh. connects with this point of. Uh, you know, will we have new things to say in writing baseball history?
0: So that that that's a very good question. Uh, in, in a way, I I think we will run out of of that. Uh, how many biographies can you have about Mickey Mantle uh, if, if you're going to take uh, take the Jane Levy approach and intersperse it? You know, you know she, he was a personal hero to her, mm-hmm. and how disappointed she was when she actually met him. Uh, to do a, a feature on him when he was in retirement, and you know this this is like the the Jim Bouton business you know at Hawkins Bank. This is not the player I want to remember you know, I want to remember him as as a strong ball player, a hero on the field, always smiling, always youthful i don 't want to think about his drinking i don 't want to think about his affairs and you know, i don 't want to know about that and that that was uh, a problem with uh, richard ben kramer 's book on Joe Dimaggio. Uh, people didn't want to know that that he may have slapped around Marilyn Monroe, or that he was a cheapskate, or that he didn't treat his family well. You know, they want their heroes to remain pure. And if if that's a kind of role we're going down, like the, the Jose Canseco books, where mm-hmm. he's pointing out, you know, this one shot up and that one shot up, I, I don't know if if a true fan of the game. Is going to want to know that there might be people who want to know about the seamy side of things, but uh, I, I have my uh, opinions about those types also. You know, I don't know if 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 you, if you want to hear all the bad stuff, does that still make you a fan, or are you just looking for bad stuff because it titillates you? Mm-hmm.
1: Ron, you've mentioned a few of the, uh, the overlooked uh, gems that have been featured in your book. And uh, one I want to ask you about, uh, which I took note of, you have a, you have a small section on instructional books. Mm-hmm. And in that section, you have a book, an instructional book from 1915, <laughs> Baseball, Individual, and Team Play in Details. So I want to ask about uh, why, why that book. And, and it, I could tell from your summary that, that you really, uh, it, it holds something of a warm spot for you.
0: It, uh, I just love that, that kind of writing. I, I think the, the writing has, in America has changed so much in, since the advent of radio. Uh, prior to the 1940s, you didn't have television, so you had writers describing things in a way that put pictures in your mind. Radio, too, did that. Before radio, you only had writers. It mm-hmm. was the only way to communicate you know, what a player looked like, how he strode to the plate, uh, how he flexed his muscles, how he hit the ball, how he ran like a deer. Uh, there's something about that writing that, that's so engaging, because you know, it does make you put pictures in your head. And then there's something about this writing, which is very innocent, uh, a couple of of the uh, pieces of advice. And this was written for college students, basically, uh, amateur players, you know, college high school players. And uh, so the advice is, it's almost like a Ten Commandments of, of, of baseball. You should not smoke. You should get your studying done. You should be out in the sunshine. You should do physical labor. You know, you don't have that anymore. And I, I just thought that there are a couple of, of the earlier books for me are, are, are favored because of that kind of writing.
1: The instructional books now are very, very technical. It's, it's you know, it yes. almost has taken the... Uh, uh, the life, the spirit out of out of baseball. It's it's just a series of of mechanical moves that you must execute.
0: I I kind of compare that in a way to books written about baseball cards or, mm-hmm. or the, the industry of baseball cards. Uh, back when I was a kid, you collected baseball cards to play with. Yeah, yeah. You know, to trade to to. I mean, I, I I shudder to think that if I had not marked up some of my cards from the 1960s, what they would be worth, well, now they wouldn't be worth anything anymore. But in the heyday of, of the memorabilia industry, you know, these you collected cards for investment purposes. Mm-hmm. And it almost seems in, in a lot of cases with these instructional books nowadays, it's an investment because you're hoping that your your kid will take these lessons to heart, will we'll turn into a great player, will get a, a baseball scholarship to a to uh, uh, college or university and, and perhaps even have a pro career. I mean, look at what's happening with, with – it's not even just Little League anymore. It's, it's travel teams, and beyond that, it's elite travel teams who don't just travel around your state but willing to travel all over the world.
1: Yeah, I had uh, I had plenty of of would be valuable baseball cards that had small little <laughs> holes in the top where I had right. pinned them onto my bedroom uh-huh. wall, <laughs> I, rendering them worthless.
0: <laughs> I did a project uh, for school once where I you know whenever we all used to do projects on pieces of oak tag paper uh, where I, I I forget what the, the topic was, but I took you know, players like Tom Sieber and Carl Yastrzemski and, and Reggie Jackson and glued them. To, to the oak tag, rendering them totally wor- worthless in, in the, the collector's eyes.
1: So, Ron, I'm sure that you're asked a lot to narrow down your list, and, and I already asked you to uh, recommend three baseball novels. Uh, but after, after compiling this list of, of 501 books, do you have for yourself some, um, you know, what you would call desert island baseball books, the, the books that would keep you satisfied for, for years and years?
0: Well, As I think I say at some point in the book, I I refer to a a line from MASH where uh, Hawkeye Pierce is asked, if he were on a desert island, what book would he want? And he says, the dictionary, because it has all the other books in it. (laughs) So for for me, it's it's, uh, Paul Dixon's baseball dictionary, because it's not just a dictionary. It's it's the study of how these words came to be. Uh, There there are a couple books in there about... uh, the Cultural History of Baseball, which are extensions of the dictionary, in a sense. They have long entries about hundreds and hundreds of aspects of the games. There's the two-volume Game of Inches by Peter Morris that are like that, in a sense, as they talk about the game on and off the field to an extent that you'll find in a lot of of small parts in other books, but this puts it together itself. The Tao of Baseball is, is, is one of, that, that's probably on my top five, uh, T.A.O. Of, of Baseball, written by the author with the pseudonym Go, and it talks about the yin and yang of baseball in, in a way that I've never seen before. Uh, and the thing about studying that aspect of philosophy is that when you think about it, it's so simple. It, it's so true, and it's so common sense, but it, you need to have somebody else show it to you. And, and he does that better than, than and anyone else I've, I've seen. You have the, the yin and the yang of the, the offense versus the defense, the pitcher versus the, the hitter, uh, the fielder versus the hitter. The, the, every spot in the lineup is, is compared to aspects of the uh, I Ching. I, I just found it such a fascinating book. I, I It's not the kind of thing that needs to be updated. I just wish it were available again. This is a book that goes back to the uh, mid-1990s. One book I wish uh, would be uh, redone again, because it is quite out of date, there's a book about uh, baseball food at ballparks, Uh, Fenway Franks to Dodger Dogs, uh, also written 20-some-odd years ago. And since there are a whole lot of new teams and a whole lot of new parks, and a whole different culinary experience, mm-hmm, I, I think that would, that, that's a book that really cries out to be redone.
1: Uh, Ron, you mentioned a couple books that have been published uh, since your book has been published. So mm-hmm. I'll ask, uh, looking ahead to uh, the second edition and uh, of 501 Baseball Books, what, what are the books that have been recently published that you, you wish, oh, I wish I could have gotten that into my book?
0: Yeah, there's a, a new book about Jews and baseball by Larry Wetman. It's called American Jews in America's Game, and he does interviews with not just Jewish ballplayers, but Jewish executives, Jewish fans. And this kind of is, uh, it's not connected with, but it's kind of an afterthought to the very good documentary Jews and Baseball An American Love Story, uh, which I highly recommend uh that's one there uh, i'm not a big fan of and i haven't seen one any uh any really good ones lately because I think they're getting prohibitively expensive to produce but i'm a big fan of the coffee table book uh the books of of large photographs or pieces of artwork there there are several mentioned in five o one they're just they 're not making them like they used to mm-hmm. so uh they're, they're that uh there's a new relatively new uh, second-volume uh, book about Connie Mack, a biography about Connie Mack from Norman Mact, who's a, a big Sabre guy. I'm trying to think of what's come across my path recently. Uh, I'm reading a book right now about... It's called Southern League. It's about the uh, uh, a uh, Kansas City A's team in the early 1960s that was the first integrated team, fully integrated team in the minors. So you have uh, Blue Moon Odom, and you have uh, Tommy Reynolds, uh, you have guys, uh, African Americans who are coming from uh, cultures that did not participate in, blatantly participate in uh, racial discrimination, and then now they're playing in the Deep South, and what that experience was like. So that that that's one that, that I would probably include in, in the next go-around. Uh, every day something comes in that you say, hmm, yeah, yeah, I think I would put this one in. I would, I would take <laughs> something out. Because, look, in a book like 501, there there are things that are borderline. Mm-hmm. I would certainly put in, uh, go, going back, not necessarily the new stuff, but some of the old stuff, I would put in uh, Shoeless Joe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would put in, I, I did not put in The Boys of Summer.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. Uh,
0: I did not put in The Glory of Their Times. And one of the reasons I think subconsciously I did not put in The Glory of Their Times was because of a book I read much more recently. It's Rod Nyer's Big Book of Baseball Myths, where he goes back, and in this day and age, it's really getting impossible for a player to exaggerate his accomplishments, because you can go back and check that in a minute. Uh, So he writes about the process of doing the glory of their times in a way that, that made me rethink it as, even though it's a wonderful story, and I recommend getting the audio version because you actually have the interviews with the players that Rittman writes about in his book, and you hear their voices as elderly gentlemen and how eloquent they are. So I, I would even advise that over reading the book. But there are elements in Nayer's in uh, uh, stories about that that make me uh, a little disappointed.
1: And Ron, to finish up, uh, do you read books about any other sports?
0: Any other sports? Yeah. Ooh, uh, pretty much no. Uh, if you say books about other things, yeah, you know, once in a while I'll pick. I'm a, I'm a big library guy. I go to the library a couple times a week, and I always get things that I want to read. I'm looking at a book right now, it's a new biography about uh, Henry Fonda, but I must have taken it out from the library at least ten times, and I still haven't gotten past the third chapter. But because I love Henry Fonda, I want to read this book. And I will keep taking it out until I have it finished.
1: You've been listening to an interview with Ron Kaplan about his book, 501 Baseball Books, Fans Must Read Before They Die, published in 2013 by the University of Nebraska Press. New Books and Sports is part of the New Books Network, which offers dozens of channels and podcast interviews with the authors of new publications, on a variety of topics. Check out the new podcast channel, New Books and Big Ideas, and bookmark the new site, nbndaily.com, which offers a digest of noteworthy author interviews and book reviews from other sites. If you like what you heard here, please follow New Books and Sports on Twitter or friend us on Facebook. You can give us your feedback, offer suggestions, and find links to thoughtful sports writing from around the world. I'm your host, Bruce Berglund. Thank you for listening, and enjoy your week.